This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's the sure sign of a good time. So here we go. First down and 10 in overtime for Denver. At their 20, McGahee will be at the side of Tebow, who has read the play that was radioed in, that was heard in his helmet as he took a look at the plays on a wristband on his right wrist. He gets the snap. He cocks his arm. He throws a pass. It's caught in stride at the 40-yard line by Thomas. At the 50. Breaks a tackle at the 40. Down the near side. The 25. The 20. The 15. They chase him to the 10. The 5. He's in for a touchdown. Denver wins. Denver wins. On an 80-yard touchdown pass. Tim Tebow. And the Broncos will advance. Well, Denny, it's uh, uh, Tebow time. Magic is back. We thought, you know, they keep dragging. We're like the godfather. They keep dragging us back into this conversation. But it was spectacular to see what had happened with the Tebow magic. It uh, it was shelled for three weeks. All the doomsday seers that says, look, this guy, it's evident now he can't win at this level. The inadequacies, we saw how badly they played against um, Kansas City when they had to win the game, kind of backed into the playoffs. And here they are. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And clearly the Tebow magic was back. It, it really was. And I think that even though he threw for 316 yards and two touchdowns, he had no interceptions. He was only 9 out of 21. So his completion percentage was not that good. But what impressed me the most was the influence that he had before the balls even snapped. In other words, the limitless a way that Dick LeBeau went about trying to stop him. And I, I think it was all about we have to be able to stop the run because they had a lot of emphasis on alley players, guys in the alley that can get up the field and help them shut down the run. And that run was not just on McGahee. It was also how we're going to stop Tim Tebow running the football. We've talked about, and, and there seems to be a reoccurring theme, that teams that play Denver and Tebow in this configuration, when they come around to the second time, they're now used to it. That it truly is unique the first time. We saw the very first time they played Kansas City, they put up better than 250 yards rushing. Now the second time around, they get totally shut down. Pittsburgh had not played Denver before. They had not played Tebow. Now you would have thought there's enough film to say, okay, here's what we do. But I think we were both a little surprised in the way the approach that Pittsburgh and Dick LeBeau, there's no greater defensive coordinator maybe in the history of this game right. than Dick LeBeau. But we were both a little surprised in the approach that they took because it was so different than what Pittsburgh typically does. It was. And also, though, I don't think we can, we can uh, underestimate the Injuries that Pittsburgh had. I mean, Hampton was injured and didn't play. Uh, uh, Giesel got hurt. Uh, you know, Ryan Clark, the free safety, did not play. So that's two of the down guys. And so I think that Dick LeBeau did not have the confidence in the rest of the players. What they wound up doing is playing a lot of double alley players. Now we know the best alley player or in-the-box player in the game is Troy Palomalo. Right. Okay, that's what he does. He comes down in the box. He plays like a linebacker. He makes plays. Most often he's in the alley, meaning he's between the tight end and the wide receiver, and he gives you that extra run support outside. Well, lo and behold, they had a lot of double alley players. And so, in mm -hmm. other words, not only was Troy down in the alley to the right, the other safety is in the alley to the left, which means no free safety in the middle. And any type of zone blitz, and that's primarily what Dick has done, not nearly as much man blitz, but zone blitz, you always have a free safety in the middle. Now, 
It can be a rotated free safety. A lot of time, Troy will be up and rotate back to the middle. Ryan Clark will be up uh, and then rotate back or back and rotate up, and Troy would go back. But they work it in coordination. Uh, there were a lot of zero coverage, and I yeah. think that's always a chance for big plays, and that's what Tebow made was big plays with straight deep throws down the field. And that's not the Steelers. That, that's not their M.O. They've never had the corners. Everybody, no. you know, they're within the system that they use. I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Denny. First, the lack – I thought they would see – we would see a more, you know, traditional – their ability to gobble up the inside front five with Giesel and, and Hampton and, and, and Hood – uh, was what, you know, typically they gobble those up in those four right. linebackers, you know, and then you dra- add Troy Palomalo, keep the safety in the middle. That, that that I thought would be the effective way, and we'd see a lot of inverted zone and zone blitz, a lot of different looks to make Tim Tebow pause, and they could do it out of their traditional package, but I think you're right. Without that presence inside, they didn't have the confidence. Also, the loss of Ryan Clark, because we've talked about this many times. I had a guy in Ed Reed that sometimes he going to freelance a little bit, right. and you know, Paul, I played Palomalo <laughs> a lot of times, and you're scratching what, where the heck is he and where did he come from? That takes a partner. That takes a safety that's experienced. Okay, right. you're going to do, you know, we said you were going to do this, but now you're altering a little bit. So I know I need to cover you a little bit. I'll cover you kind of like in doubles and tennis. Right. Okay, you do this. I know I need to cover your butt over here. And with the new safety in there that maybe we didn't have, I'm not sure they didn't get themselves caught in a couple situations. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. If I'm going to do this, you need to cover me over right. here. And they left themselves vulnerable. Well, and I think the reason why we say they did that is because the corners were playing outside so many times and you don't play outside without help on the inside and so on the last touchdown play in overtime it was an easy simple slant up the field break in we see it hundreds of times and uh, the corner was because what happens when you're outside you not only can't shut the play down you're actually in jeopardy even making a play on the ball because you're Absolutely. not breaking on the ball and breaking inside at the same time. And that was the case. He come off inside. He was still backpedaling. He was late getting there. So I, I just think, though, but it, it's all, though, part of the magic of Tebow. I mean, why? Because of Tebow's influence. Dick LeBeau wasn't himself. Because of Tebow's influence, they got caught in a double safety inverted alley players. I mean, because of Tebow's influence, they didn't feel that they could stop him with their ordinary seven people up front. So I think, again, it's, it, it's still Tebow time. And now he goes to the ultimate, ultimate uh, playing surface, which is, you know, going to uh, New England. Playing against New England, and we'll we'll talk, of course, about right now. New England, I guess, they're so worried about Tebow, they went and got some help, so yeah. they added a coach. <laughs> well, which we, I don't know how that's possible. Uh, we'll figure that out. Let's let's we'll talk about that in a second. But let's talk about that matchup, obviously, because and, and we'll get to Pittsburgh in a second and the things that they need to do. I, I will say this: we started out the season saying Pittsburgh looked a little old and slow. Now they rebounded and did okay. They looked old and slow a little bit again the other day. Yeah, they did. And and I think particularly they've never been great at the cornerback. Uh, you know what? You you look and, and Hines Ward, boy, he wasn't nearly a, the re, other receivers look real fast. Mm-hmm. Hines has lost a lot of speed. I'm sure this is probably going to be his last year, the tight end game. You know, I mean, I just think that uh, along with, with um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger being beat up, then they, they were not an explosive team. And, and really – I don't think they would have showed up very well against New England at all. 
Yeah, just the, the just where they were. They were probably thinking, you know what, this is a good matchup for us. Not that they underestimate the opponent. Don't get me wrong, but they probably like the matchup. Going, look, we, we'll play our game. We'll get a win here. We'll get a little bit healthier, and then we'll go play New England. L- let's talk about that matchup because a couple things have happened now. You look at this matchup, New England beat them soundly in Denver. Uh, we just talked about sometimes that playing this style of play that Denver now has with Tebow, the second time can be an advantage. We've seen that now. Mm-hmm. And let's remember, Kansas City, Romeo Cornell did such a great job. Romeo is a, is a, dis, uh, a Belichick disciple. Right. He came from New England. So and he was their defensive coordinator. you got to know those conversations have been had. We've all do those kind of, hey, bud, what, tell me what you did. And the good thing is it's a shorthand conversation. It's, well, we did this. What you call that they're talking the same verbiage so when right. he says we did our over under ed to converted this that bill belichick knows exactly what he's talking about plus they played them earlier and they'll draw some conclusions from that it is at home to me it still comes back obviously new england's still vulnerable on the defensive side of the ball but tom brady at home their ability to spread out that defense without brian dawkins in the secondary the matchups they can create against this denver uh, team obviously, I think, has to favor New England. Brady has the potential at home to slice them up pretty good. Well, he does because he does so many different things that it's hard to get pressure on him, you know, and I think that's that's where they're at. I mean, because of they got Walker, they got Gronkowski, okay? So by spreading them out, uh, using different versions, uh, staying in base personnel, but, but forcing uh, the Broncos to either go nickel or try to stay in base, taking their linebackers, line them to the outside, there are a lot of problems that, that New England is going to cause. I think how they're going to handle Tebow, if they're going to do what Kansas City did, which was the second time around, Kansas City played more man. I don't know what the number was, but they played a lot more man coverage against Denver the second time around than they did the first time. And they not only played man, they played man with bump coverage. They got up on the receivers, took away the quick release inside, uh, forced them to try to throw some back uh, quick fly routes or back shoulder fly routes. Uh, and I think there was no timing there for hooks or crossing routes. And so I think that's probably what New England's going to do. They they are not very good defensively. They've struggled all year defensively. But I think they can feel that we can get enough pressure on Tebow to force him to have to eat the ball bring it down and take off and then try to get other guys running to the football. Yeah, when I was watching this game unfold early and you saw Pittsburgh come out and move down the length of the field, but only came away with field goals. And Pittsburgh hasn't been real good in the red zone uh, this year. They're in the second half of the second tier of the uh, NFL in red zone efficiency. We've seen that, look, you get up on them, and now that changes the pro. That changes Tim Tebow's world. Can they catch up? Had those been touchdowns instead of field goals? then that might have substantially changed what Denver could have done or how they that have felt that sense of, okay, now we got to keep up. Maybe Tim Tebow throws some uh, picks now right. and forces himself some turnovers. Clearly, if they can keep it close against New England, that obviously favors uh, Denver. What happened, even though they kept it fairly close, obviously, the first game, then all of a sudden Tom Brady did his magic, started that separation, and that's when the turnovers begin for Denver. Well, they, they played pretty well in the first quarter against right. New England before. Uh, Tebow only threw a total of 21 passes, including the world record-breaking uh, overtime game. So, you know, you know eight, or eight receptions and 20 passes, that's what he was going into overtime. I don't think he's going to throw the ball a lot. I think, again, they're going to try to do what they did, which is keep the ball, eat the ball, and keep uh, uh, Brady off the field. Let's talk about what you alluded to it earlier, that uh, New England has hired Josh McDaniel. Uh, 
O'Brien has gone to Penn State. He's going to finish out with them, but then become the head coach, the offensive coordinator. But he's still going to be he's still going practicing to be there. with New England Patriots. Right, and you know okay. how that goes. You have a split attention. I understand Bill Belichick bringing a Josh McDaniel back into the fold. I understand from his standpoint the value of that. He's comfortable with the system. He's comfortable with Brady. I also see the value going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm now getting a guy – who put part of that Denver team together. So I now have an intimate knowledge of that. That's a hell of an advantage. You and I are both wondering how, how the league can allow that. Well I, can, well, I can understand you saying you can understand Bill Belichick doing it. I can't understand the league not picking up the phone and calling and say, I just read in the paper that you say that Josh McDaniel is going to be in your stadium today working with your staff. Yeah, that's right. No. Simple. No. I mean, uh, for the simple reason of how can a guy work for one team during the season and just because the season's over, go work for another team during the same season? NFL has never worked that way. There's always been – I mean, when the Super Bowl ends – is when the new season starts. And New England's the best at it. They've gone to more Super Bowls than anybody. When the season ends, whether they're in the Super Bowl or not, and the new season starts, that's when Josh McDaniel can start working for New England. I don't see how the NFL I, – I, I would be totally shocked. I get shocked by a lot of stuff <laughs> if a phone call doesn't show yeah. up that says you can't do it. Well, we all know it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. And New England's <laughs> worked under that premise for a long time. So if I'm Sean Payton in New Orleans and I have not played San Francisco – uh, I can now go to someone on that St. Louis staff, and they're all obviously out on the street now, <laughs> yeah, they who are. have played San Francisco twice this year. You know what? I'm going to hire one of these guys on a short-time consultant basis because I'd love to have somebody in the building now that can, who is a little more familiar with this team come in here and chip into what we're doing. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be real shocked if the league doesn't step in. Now, we're, we do this podcast on Monday. If the league now doesn't uh, – and th- you know what? This is not federal court. This is – we can't <laughs> grandfather – the league can do whatever they want going no 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 we don't want to set this president you can hire josh mcdaniel we don't want to prevent anybody from getting a job he can join you come the end of the playoffs yeah and they have to super bowl yeah so we'll see what they do with it I, yeah i question it as well i don't question bill belichick doing it because it's a it's a good move but they do it as long as the league don't stop you. can't get away from it second and 17 breeze in the gun drops the throw pump Thrown deep left side, running free, nobody there. Makes the catch at the 15, walks in. Robert Meacham, exclamation point with 7.29 to go in the fourth. It's 37-21, New Orleans. Let's move on. We just alluded to to the Saints and, and the 49ers. Now the Saints, boy, you talk about how impressive they were in beating the Lions 45-28. to 28. Um, but that was in New Orleans, and on, we saw on New Orleans surf. Yeah, and, and that that the thing that impressed me, obviously, and we'll talk about it in a minute. The use of Darren Sproles. We said all along New Orleans' ability to run the ball, like they did in 2009. They got away from that last year due to injuries last year, or in 2009 when they won the championship. They had that one-two combination. It's it's decisive for them. It was the difference in the in the Detroit game. Obviously, Detroit's inability to run the ball. That combination, but this is a different group you're playing in San Francisco, maybe the best defense in the league, the best run defense in the league, on a natural surface, on the road, this could be a tighter game than some people think. Yeah, and that, and that natural surface is a little bit wet. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be a beautiful day because the weather's incredible in San Francisco in, you know, winter like it is right now. However, though, the grass is a little bit wet. There's always a little moisture. You know, it's an earlier game. I think the game is at 130. I think the big issue is just going to be, you know, surface and grass. A natural grass team. San Francisco's built to run the ball. They don't mind three yards. They don't have to 
they have six or seven. They're meant to keep the ball. They also lead the league in turnovers. They're tied for turnovers, so they'll force fumbles. They'll force quarterback sacks, force quarterback to make bad throws. They'll force interceptions. Uh, they get uh, turnovers on special teams, so they're a very good team defensively that make things happen. And what we know with New Orleans Saints are they are a speed team. I mean, they want full surface, no such thing as slip. We're on our surface, and we play like uh, like unbelievable uh, level at a high level. And so I think that the question is going to be, can they adapt? There's always that issue. We used to be one. An indoor team, when it goes outside, do they play the same way or do they play another way? And the question is, can the Saints play the same way on grass? Well, the thing that intrigues me, that San Francisco defense, and I had San Francisco a couple times, what intrigues me is San Francisco, unlike Detroit, and, and not necessarily criticism of Detroit, and we'll talk about where Detroit has to go forward because I, I hope we don't lose sight of what a, what a great turnaround for Detroit and Jim Schwartz. I mean, yeah. three years ago, they were 0-16. But what I think San Francisco has the ability to shut down the New Orleans run with just if if they got two tight ends or two backs and a, and a tight end, a seven-man box, if they're spreading it out with a six-man box, they don't have to bring down that extra guy to stop the New Orleans run, particularly at home. And I think that's going to be a big difference for them. They ran the ball very well against Detroit. We'll talk about what Detroit needs to do going forward, but they haven't stopped the run all year long. San Francisco is going to be very comfortable with their front four, their two or three linebackers, depending upon the box that they're seeing. They're going to stop the run with that group. So that gives them a lot more latitude on the back end, which you got to have when you're playing Drew Brees. I think San Francisco presents some defensive challenges to New Orleans, who feels very good about it, better than 650 yards right. total yeah. offense against a pretty good Detroit front front seven. But Detroit hasn't stopped the run all year. I think that's going to be a big difference for San Francisco. It is because San Francisco will run the ball a lot, and they'll run it with the idea of being that we just want to cut down the numbers of opportunities that Drew Brees heads on the football field. And then we want to try to find those chances for those takeaways that we've been so good at. And and their ability uh, there, again, the question I would have, though, is can San Francisco, we talk about their standard spacing front, their six and seven in box stopping the run, can they get pressure on Drew Brees with just a four-man rush? That part, obviously, they have some guys that can bring some pressure that way. Um, uh, Alden Smith has shown that he can be something special. I'm not sure that they're not going to have to bring pressure. And you got to put pressure on Drew Brees. There's no one better in the pocket suddenly extending a play within the pocket. A Ben Roethlisberger does it outside the pocket, right. obviously. Aaron Rodgers does it uniquely outside the pocket sometimes. Drew Brees is strictly within the pocket. That subtle movement inside, stepping up, climbing the pocket, or side to side, um, that might be the one vulnerability. Do Can they put pressure on Drew Brees without bringing that fifth and sixth guy. And I think they're going to have to pick their spots, you know, simply because there are some clear matchup problems when you're trying to bring that fifth guy in, 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 uh, in your man coverage. But they're going to have to do some of it. Uh, they're going to have to pick their spots. And what they're going to have to rely on is maybe the surface helping them a little bit so that the receivers are not at a huge advantage running against man coverage. And if they can keep it within the profile that Jim Harbaugh wants, play good defense, we're going to run the ball. We're not going to give up on the run. We're never going to get away from it. And as long as it's a two-score differential or less, then I'm going to stick with that. And I'm going to believe I can get that score late in the fourth quarter and make it a one-score differential and we can win the game at home. If New Orleans is able to get a little bit of that separation, Detroit held up very well. Until all of a sudden, and, 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 and New Orleans threw a couple turnovers early. They were down 14-10, but all of a sudden, boom, we hit you a big play to meet you. Boom, we're down the field. 
you get that differential. Now, if it spreads a little bit, that's where San Francisco really becomes vulnerable. It really is. And I think, though, the, the this is what Jim Harbaugh said the very first day. The first day he got together with the team, we are going to be a team that improves our defense, which we were pretty good last year. But we're going to be a team that nobody wants to play because we will be very aggressive in our style and our approach to running the football. And if we do those things, we will be a playoff team. Well, lo and behold, they have been a playoff team. So this is going to be an easy sell week. This is the discipline that says that we're not interested in attracting me. All we're interested in doing is being real physical against the Saints front seven, make them have to come out and do a little bit extra to stop the run and when they do have the ability to beat them with some big plays but other than that having the discipline to make sure that we are not turning the ball over that we're not hurting ourselves they have sold that and to be 13 and 3 in your first year is unheard of and and i think that makes them a very special team right now talk about special darren sproles is a game changer to me i'm not sure san francisco has faced a team that has a guy that can do – we always talk about Darren Sproles and they can flank him out and throw him in the ball, and that's fine. Their ability to run with him, not just, you know, he's in the game. Okay, here comes a toss or a sweep. No, they'll they'll just run him downhill in the eye. You get too loose on the outside, and they'll shove him down your throat with an eye. So, Darren, everybody is going to be looking for Darren Sproles. I said for many years, you're the best – evaluator of personnel of any coach I've been around, Denny. And I remember years ago when we brought in David Palmer from Alabama, played quarterback for them, did a number of different things. And we drafted him and you said, okay, here's what I want you to do with him, Brian. I'm going, you're nuts, man. What are you talking about? This guy, this guy's a peanut. How do I put him in the backfield? But what that allowed us to do uh, in our, in that 98 year, we went 15 and one. We saw that we could put him in some situations where he can protect off the edge, don't want to make a living off it. We could run him downhill. We could run some special things, motion him out and use him out of the backfield. Everybody is going to – I'm not going to – it's not Al Gore inventing the Internet, but I'm going to give you credit for having a guy like that on our offense, and we were so explosive. Everybody's going to be looking for Darren Sproles to add to their offense. Well, they they really are, and and I think that's what it comes down to. Led the league this year is Maurice Drew. You know, so the the return of the little guy back is absolutely there, and it's mainly because of speed, that once again the league is emphasizing speed, not necessarily size at the running back position, and also the more things you can do. Can you return? Turn the ball, yes. Can you get outside, yes. Can you be a third down back, yes. What about first or second down? I can even do that too. And that's exactly what Sproul can do. Um, let, let's talk real quickly before we move on about what Detroit needs to do going forward. And, again, I, I just I hope it's tough. You lose – you know, you believe you're a team of destiny when you get in the playoffs, right up to the point you lose. It's so shocking when you lose. Even though I, I know you were a road team, and, and I'm talking about Detroit now, and, and an underdog and this, that, and the other, it's still shocking to them today on Monday that they lost. Right. And, and, and it shocks the system. Let's talk about what Detroit has to do. This is a good football team. Clearly need to work on something on the back end. They have got to get some linebackers, some young linebackers in there. I'm still not sold on this wide nine defense and stopping the run. They've got to commit to stopping the run better, and they've got to run the ball better. Well, I think particularly in the division at the end, because if you're going to consistently beat Chicago, you've got to stop the run. The Vikings, you've got to be able to, to come in and line up and stop the run, and, and I think that's going to be a crucial part of what they have to do. Green Bay, running is everything, but it's off the combination of passing. So I think that's where they, they have to make their improvement. What they saw, of course, with the numbers that they put up, it still wasn't enough to outscore people. You have to be able to defend. And Green Bay does it. Don't ask me. Well, I, they do it so prolifically. But for the most part, you've got to improve your defense, and I think that's where Detroit has to do it. And primarily linebacker. At one point, they drafted a lot of linebackers, but that was a while ago.
Yeah, and it's not like they didn't try to adjust it. They had job at best. They have Mikel on the shore, and, and, and they got hurt. Right. Um, but they need to add to that and have a physical presence, much like a New Orleans added a Mark Ingram and added a physical style that, that now if you could round out what they're doing, probably need to get the offensive line as well. Jeff Backus is on the back end of it, obviously. Uh, uh, Rioli at the center, probably near the end of that career, and we know how that happens with center. All of right. a sudden those elbows and forearms and, and, and wrists get beat up. So they probably need to address the offensive line as well. But obviously the arrow pointing up for, for Detroit and uh, Matthew Stafford was absolutely brilliant. Giants are 4 of 9 on third down. This is a third and three. Manning gets rid of it. Complete. Akeem Nix upfield. Nix on his feet to the 40, to the 35. Nix is gone. 10-yard line, 5-yard line, touchdown Giants. 72 yards on a catch and run by Akeem Nix. His second of the day. And this crowd is going bananas. Let's move on now. Boy, this this one's... That New York Giant team in Atlanta, I, and, and, and I got a Mia Copa here. You, you really believed in New York. I thought Atlanta could go in there and win. That New York Giant team was a dominant-looking team at home against uh, Atlanta, and this is going to be an interesting matchup going into Green Bay. Well, yeah, I think, and particularly defensively. I mean, they're a team that says that, I mean, they've got all the talkers on defense. They talk a good game, but they are uh, healthier uh, they're aggressive. They've got some guys that were around off that 2017. Uh, they looked apart. They look like they're very difficult to block. Uh, they handled Atlanta, and they handled Atlanta's run game. They were quicker. They were beating Atlanta to the punch. In other words, Atlanta could not get that run game going because it looked like it wasn't quite quick enough to block those guys. And then at the same sense, they were able to get pressure and get around the quarterback. And so I think that's what the Giants are going to look to do. I mean, with, the, with this rematch. Now, against uh, the Packers, I mean, with the exception of Kansas City beating the Packers, the the uh, Packers and the Giants in in uh, New York was probably the best game of the season. Yeah, and, and it was so, a three point thirty eight thirty five win. It's not yeah. like this was a route. No. Detroit no. going back in and trying to overcome, and it kind of ended up being just like the first game, Detroit right. New Orleans. This was a three point game now, and and you're right, it was a hell of a game in early December. They scored. They scored too early. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean. They scored with fifty one seconds, and that was too early to score. And, and again, we talked about San Francisco's ability with their seven-man front, with their down four. Well, you're talking about Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, uh, Tuck, Umanura. That's a pretty formidable against an offensive line in Green Bay that is still kind of settling into some injuries that they've had. Uh, this is This is going to be a tough matchup all but in Lambeau Field, both from a pass rush standpoint and what little run Green Bay tries to do, I don't think uh, New York's going to have to commit like they did against Atlanta. They brought those guys down the box and said, Atlanta, you're not going to run, and held up on the outside. Atlanta wasn't able to make big plays down the field necessarily uh, for most of the game. Uh, Obviously, it's a different profile against Aaron Rodgers and that group. The token run that Green Bay can throw in there, that front four and front front seven, front six are going to handle that pretty good. Well, they should be able to. Where the 
matchup could come is just the ability to spread them out and how accurate, absolutely accurate, that that the Rodgers has been in his pinpoint passing. But the Giants are they they hit in the secondary. They are not going to think give up the cheap play. I mean, there's a certain amount of confusion that takes place in the league now, and there have been a lot of really cheap touchdowns, and Green Bay has got a lot of them. So this is going to be a a phenomenal game. Again, it's one I haven't seen the weather report yet. I assume eventually it's got to be cold. My we brother, keep saying that, don't we? Well, my brother, you know, I talked to him Friday. He was golfing in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It was like 53 degrees or something. So the weather has really been phenomenal, and it might not be a factor this week. We know they're both cold-weather teams. This is going to be a great game simply because they both have been there. They both have been recent Super Bowl champion teams. They've both been teams that know how to do it the hard way. The one thing that I, I've been seeing is for a while now, New York plays better, in my opinion, and particularly Eli, plays better on the road than he does at home. Now, I don't have those statistics in front of me, but I just know that he has been a very good road quarterback, and I think they're a team that plays well on the road. Here's my one qualifier, because we're going to sit here and we can analyze this, and I think correctly so. They're a good road team. Talking about New York now. Uh, If they can run the ball like they did against Atlanta and that commitment to it's going to be huge. Eli's been great in the fourth quarter. Uh, The pressure they can put on Aaron Rodgers with third down four is unique. There are so many things about this game that you say New York can do this, but I come back to one, it's Lambeau Field. Okay, it's it. Can they go into Green Bay at Lambeau Field? It's almost, uh, you know, it's almost anthemum to to uh, 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 blasphemy that anybody can go and be Green Bay in Lambeau Field. And because of Aaron Rodgers didn't play the last game, they've had the bite. We always tend to kind of forget about the one and two seeds because we're all focused on who got it in the playoffs, and everybody's excited now about the wild card games. And and uh, but. So Aaron Rodgers has almost like been put out of our mindset. This guy's been pretty good. He is mentally fresh now. I had their last game. He was really looking forward to kind of just turn his brain off for a little bit. Aaron Rodgers uh, coming out and just lighting up this this defense. Last time they played now, he threw for better than 360 yards and four TDs. It's real easy to get enamored with the enthusiasm of the teams that just played Green Bay is going to be tough to beat in Green Bay. They really are. But, you know, uh, Tom Coffin's is going to say one thing. The last time we were here as a wild card, mm-hmm. we came to Lambeau Field, and we beat them. Yeah. Yeah. You know oh, I mean? boy. And from there, we went to the Super Bowl. If this is another right. Super Bowl year, and there have been certain guys, Antrell Roll and, and Cruz, and some of you guys that weren't here then that came here with Super Bowls in mind, the guys that were here, Eli was here and Tuck was here, we were there before we got it done. We have to do the same thing again. And that, that is, can be the best answer you have to say, hey, this is what it's like, but it's not something that we can't overcome. Well, and let's, but we're going to get to Atlanta a little bit because we're, we're kind of surmising for all these teams that have been knocked out. What do they need to go forward? But the other thing in Green Bay, and we've both been there, Coach, together and, then, and, and uh, separately, you work your butt off to get that by. You love the freshness. But now, right now, Mike McCarthy – as is Jim Harbaugh is sitting there scared, uh, scared to that's the wrong term, worried, anxious about, boy, have we lost our stride? Have we lost our head? You know, you won it, but now all of a sudden, now, God, those guys played their way in. They got some rhythm about them. Their coaches are selling that. Can my team get this magic back? You won it, but you're always afraid of it because you're concerned. Did you do the right thing? Did we have enough time off? Did we practice hard enough? Are we sharp? Did we get enough accomplished? Did we find out what we needed to do? 
have we taken the right approach in, the, in that week off? And so that's when it becomes the teams who won. They don't have that luxury. They played. They won. New game. They don't. They, they're just right now. Let's go play. So I think there's always an advantage to the buy. You're fresher. You're if you were beat up, which everyone is. You're you're not as beat up as you were before. But there can be a concern on whether or not you are with a bye week if you're going to be a little bit stale. Yeah, and you talked about the familiarity of New York. We've been here before. We've made this run. We know how to do this. Green Bay and its championship runs, and then obviously their Super Bowl run, they had to play their way through it. This is kind of new territory right. for them, having that buy, and so it is different for them. Uh, let's talk real briefly about Atlanta. Obviously, um, the, the mantle that uh, Mike Smith's going to have to deal with now is, okay, you've done a great job, but you haven't won a playoff game. Matt Ryan, you haven't won the playoff game. You're 0-3 that way. They've got some offensive assets. We talked about earlier in the matchups that, that came down uh, with New York. Uh, they need to address the interior of the line. Uh, to, to my way of thinking, McClure's getting a little older. They lost Harvey Dahl underestimated how that would affect their offense at some point they got to add to this defense it's been all offense offense put a, a team in around Matt Ryan uh, they don't have their first round draft choice because of the trade with uh, with Cleveland um, so they're going to have to rely on that second day the second third round I'm not sure you don't lock your defense offensive guys out of the room and say we're going all defense right yeah and I can see why they would do that simply because when you get out to play and you're hitting the playoffs you know you do need the whole package and they don't really have the whole package uh, and New York who has not not run the ball well. I don't know if New York is that good at yeah, running the ball all of point. a sudden or if Atlanta is not very good at defending the run, but New York ran the ball well. The question will be, can New York take that and run this week against against the Packers? So I think they definitely have to improve their run defense. Yeah, and, that, and they'll, they'll address that and then have to carry around. And we've been there before, Coach, in terms of, okay, great, you, you can win a division, you can go to the playoffs. But now you're going to be measured one way. You got to, you got to get that playoff right. run, whether it's Matt Ryan or it's Mike Smith, and that's just that's just the name of the game. Third and seven, Texans. Foster the single setback. Yates under center, hands to Foster, running right, cuts it upfield at the 40, 35, 30. Foster to the 20, Foster to the 15. He's going to go in. Touchdown! Touchdown! Arian Foster, 42 yards, broke the tackle of Chris Crocker. And the only thing left for him to do is cross the goal line. And that, folks, is the punctuation on this ballgame. Let's move on. Boy, this this one's got, you know, going to my old neck of the woods. We got Houston at Baltimore. First, and, and we probably haven't talked about Gary Kubiak enough. We talked about what a great job Marvin Lewis has done, just getting that team above 500 and right. getting to the playoffs. Ken Wisenhunt with the late run. Gary Kubiak, and, 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 and I'll, it's my fault for not talking more about Gary as well, uh, what a great job. You lose what they have lost by way of Mario Williams. Uh, Andre Johnson hasn't been in the lineup. You're down to your third quarterback, a right. rookie quarterback you took in the fifth round. Um, Gary Kubiak deserves a lot of credit for where they are right now. Yeah, and I think the big thing he's able to do is give them the confidence that says, look, we've been doing the right things, and that's why we don't have to panic when we lose a quarterback. We go, we put in Matt Liner. Did we lose Matt Liner? We don't have to panic because we do have Yates here. And that, in other words, we've been doing the right things all along, but how we've been winning is we're taking that version of the West Coast offense and we are running the football. That is our thing. We're using the linemen that we have. We're moving them. We're cutting blocks. We're we're getting out and we're using area blocking techniques and we're going to use that to our success and it really worked for him. 
and and Houston has overcome. They they uh, um, obviously to finish the season they had three straight losses. Now you worry about the emotional, even though they had the division set, so they took that calculated. Okay, we're going to rest some guys. We're going to go about this in a certain way, and we're putting all eggs on. We're going to win at home against Cincinnati, and they've done that. So now all that goes away. The three losses should you have that all goes away. You've got that energy, but they're going into Baltimore now, Denny. Now Cincinnati has done a great job defensively with a lot of no-name guys. Right. And to put pressure on the quarterback, they got to bring that fifth and sixth guy. They can build the box. They've held up on the back end. But Baltimore, this is a different breed of cat now. You're talking about Haloti Nada. They've got beyond well-schemed. They've got pro bowlers slash Hall of Famers. Now, I'm not going to put Nada and Terrell Suggs in the Hall of Fame yet, right. but Ray Lewis and, and Ed Reed, you've got dominant players in the interior line, Edge rusher, linebacker, and secondary. This is a different breed of defense than what Houston beat in Cincinnati. It really is, and I, I just don't think that Houston's going to be, you know, able to get that kind of pressure in Baltimore. This is the type of game where, you know, they go and they bang around a little bit. I mean, they're going to have to work hard. Foster's going to have to work hard on not fumbling the ball because he's going to get hit. And, and, you know, there's a familiarity here, so they understand what they're up against. And so they have to just make sure they're not intimidated. Handle the first barrage. Don't turn the ball over. Make Baltimore work for everything they get. And in a lot of ways, Flacco is, is like is like. Ryan, I mean, you know, he looks yeah. pretty good at times, but other times not quite there. And and try to get on the field and stay on the field. But it's going to be crucial for them to be able to run the ball and be satisfied with any type of yardage they get when they run it. Yeah, this is going to be a tipping point for Joe Flacco. He's at home. Uh, they're a superior team, in my opinion. And they've beaten them once, 29-14. to 14. But obviously, Wade Phillips has done a great job with that defense. But Joe Flacco has to have that good game we've seen Joe Flacco have. He cannot turn the ball over, but he's still got to take those shots. And they're going to run the ball with Ray Rice and be solid that way. It's, it's going to be you got to give Houston its due. They've got the talent on the outside with Walters and, and Andre Johnson. Don't know if uh, Owen Daniels is going to play. They've got the two-headed run, monster at running back. They're playing good in the offensive line. But still, now, this DJ Yates thought it was a big jump into the wild card round and the energy at the game at home. Wait till you go into Baltimore now. It's going to an even – and you got Terrell Suggs coming off that edge. You're looking eyeball to eyeball with, uh, with Ray Lewis, and you don't know where the hell Ed Reed's going to be. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a tall order for Houston. It, it really is. I think they're going to struggle with it. Uh, and let's, let's, let's talk real briefly about Cincinnati again. Boy, the arrow is so much. They're such a young team. They got to feel so good about where they at. They got to add some playmakers on defense. They're pretty good on offense. They've got AJ Green on the outside. Gresham's a good young tight end. They get Jordan Shipley back. That was a big loss for them early in the season. They lost Jonathan Joseph to free agency to Houston. That was a big loss. They lost uh, Hall, D'Angelo Hall, during the season. That hurt them on the back end. They need to rebuild that back end a little bit, if for nothing more than depth. And they probably need a good edge pass rusher. And I think that's the one key thing that they don't have that we know that Baltimore has. You need a guy like Suggs who brings not only reputation but also performance, and that's a crucial part for them. So the draft is there. They, I think also they need to now say, okay, Marvin uh, survived this year. A lot of people thought he wouldn't. Got him to the playoffs this year. Most people thought he wouldn't. Now give him the new contract and also give him the authority to try to build a defense in the image of the one that he was involved with in Baltimore because that's who they've got to beat. It's, you've got to be Baltimore – we, part of getting Marvin was that he was from Baltimore. Let him help you build right. a Baltimore-style defense. And they're going in with, with Oakland's first-round draft choice, which, as we know, you got two first-round picks. 
Gives you a lot of latitude. If there's that Vaughn Miller type player that you need to move up, you have the juice to go get it. Or I can throw off one of those first rounders because I got the other one. I can pick up value and get a couple seconds, a third, maybe a first next year, continue to build. I can. I got a lot of latitude. They are positioned very, very well. The arrow is clearly pointing up for them, uh, and you got to feel good about Cincinnati and, and, and what they're doing right now. All right, let's talk a little bit. Let's let's step back a little bit because the other unique thing, obviously, is we're knee deep in in still now. Some we're beginning more and more clarify about or more clarity about what some of the teams that are going through the transition. Now we had five teams that have had head coaching and what we've seen, Denny. We've been saying for a while it's a GM's league, but because of that. I can't remember a time when we've seen more GMs be let go. Bill Pulling, we talked about what a shock right. that was. Uh, uh, Angelo in, in, in Chicago. Um, the bullseye is in the, and, and now when you have a guy like Scott Pioli, that you, the, the landscape's real clear cut. Okay, I got the power, but now that bullseye's transforming to me. Let's talk about some of the changes. It looks like Romeo Cornell's going to hold on to the job in Kansas City. Yeah, he's going to get that job, and we know that he's in there as a coordinator because of Scott Pioli. Remember, you know, you, you get there, and at first they had Clancy Pendergast was, was their defensive coordinator. He was, uh, you know, at Arizona, rode the Arizona Super Bowl into a head job as a coordinator. There didn't last long, and Pioli wanted Romeo. He got Romeo, and he got Romeo to the point also where, as the interim coach, the players played for him. They liked him. Romeo was named the head coach. Well, that's his man. Now, this is his second choice as as the head coach. Uh, St. Louis, they, that, it's different. Now, when you have Scott Pioli pick his guy, now it's St. Louis. Jeff Fisher seems to be the leading candidate. There is no general manager because Billy Devaney was let go. So now they're going to pick the coach first. If it is Fisher, he'll be involved then and who he selects as his partner as a general manager. Yeah, with regards to Pioli, that, that target clearly goes to him now because he did hire Haley, uh, had to let him go. He's now elevating Romeo Cornell. Good, wrong, you know. Interim coaches' success in this league are not very good. Outside of Jeff Fisher over the last 20 years, usually within two years they're gone because it's a shorter leash now. If they come out and don't start well under Romeo Cornell, an interim head coach that now is the head coach, this is Scott Pioli's pick. Right. Now ownership's going, well, wait a minute now. Uh, how are we picking these guys? It, they're on a shorter leash. It's not like if he had gotten, and that's not the reason that you, I'm not advocating that he shouldn't go with Romeo Cornell. Had he gone and got somebody else, they might have been able to ride that horse a little longer. They've got to show they're going to be good out of the gate or there's going to be some real pressure. Oh, nope. Let's remember, Romeo Cornell was part of that staff that got fired right. under uh, uh, Haley. So what are we saying here? You, you see the interim guys that came back. Uh, Leslie Frazier had a tough opening season uh, with, with uh, Minnesota. So that's going to mean a short leash for them. Jason Garrett was not able, after losing the interim title, getting the head job in Dallas. They were out of the playoffs this year. That creates a shorter leash and now that target's going to go to Scott Pioli. Chicago is a little bit different in that we don't normally see this and we're coaches so obviously we don't apply to, uh, applaud anybody getting fired but but it, it's kind of refreshing as a coach going yeah yeah how about this GM being responsible <laughs> instead of me Lovey Smith getting the, the, the can and now he's putting his staff together and he obviously is going to have a little bit of a hand in terms of what Chicago does in, in terms of their general manager. Well spot. I think so because this is a case where, where Lovey Smith was not involved in the selection of players that has always been Jerry Angelo he's been there for a long time Jerry is heavily involved with it. He selected the players. Now, part of that, I think, was this idea that when there were injuries that occurred, 
that Angelo did not help, you know, Lovey Smith get a replacement at quarterback. So they went out and played with a quarterback who really wasn't up to the job, and that took them and a team that was in position to come in right behind Green Bay. They got knocked out of the playoffs, and so the general manager, Jerry Angelo, is the one who paid for it. Very unusual because they normally make the head coaches the one who becomes a scapegoat and has to pay for it. Yeah, and, and not a bad approach. Again, we're coaches, so we have a, 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 you know, a specific view of it, but why not put that relationship? going forward in Tampa Bay again uh, Mark Dominic uh, went with Raheem Morris didn't work out so now he a little like Pioli okay you, you got to be smart about this choice now because now ownership's going to go okay we're going to give you another shot here we're going to extend you as the general manager just like Gene Smith in in Jacksonville and and uh, and we're going to let you make this choice more so Dominic than than Gene Smith because I don't know how much Gene Smith was really involved in hiring Jack Del Rio at that time it was uh, Shaq Harris right and so he kind of elevated from that point so a little bit different Dominic's under pressure now you got to get this one right and he's kind of all over the board he's the coordinators uh, Sherman from from who got fired at Green Bay and then Texas A and M there's obviously a relationship there you're thinking you can bring that guy in they're talking about Brad Childress maybe coming in as the coordinator talking about Marty Schottenheimer right and bringing Marty you know out of mothballs and going, okay, maybe this is the way to go. He's got a little bit riding on this. Well, he does, and I, I think that the Childress interviewed as well. They're saying, okay, how about if Sherman gets the job and Childress comes in as his coordinator? Will that help? Almost a two for the price of one. And so that's also an approach that, that they very well be, might be taking at Tampa Bay. Miami's interesting because I, I'm a little surprised in the way Miami approached it. Uh, not that they pursued a Jeff Fisher. I, I understand that. But I'm not sure that if I'm in Miami, you know, I'm not letting, you know, I'm a good enough salesman. You know, we recruited, I recruited a few at Stanford, okay? Yeah. And so I know that we're going to close the deal here. Because right. if he walks out of this office and doesn't accept the scholarship, doesn't take this job, what is that saying? And, right. and Jeff intelligently marketed himself around. Looks like he's going to St. Louis. I don't know how in, in, in uh, Miami now – you're going to that plan B and not having that definitive, boy, okay, if he does walk out of this building, I'm not getting him. i got to move decisively because they seem a little bit all around the board terms in terms of where they want to go. Well, I think so because they don't have a set quarterback. They don't have – they have a set general manager, but they don't have a set president. Uh, you know, I think that they had uh, an interim type of situation. Uh, St. Louis is selling quarterback only. I think the quarterback – they're selling two things. One – we have a quarterback in Sam Bradford, and two, you're going to be involved in the selection of the general manager. I think those are the two things that appeal to, to Jeff Fisher. He's leaving the, the, the conference. I mean, so you would think that if Miami would have put their best foot forward, that they could have got that done. Yeah, and a little like last year where they put all their eggs in the Jim Harbaugh basket. Didn't happen, so we'll settle for Tony Sperano. And, yeah, we'll give you a contract. Everybody says, well, okay, you get an extension, and so that that means you're going to be here. No, that just means you're going to get paid. Okay? <laughs> you can still I – I got a brand-new contract in January of – when was it? 06 and, and, uh, or 07, and then January 08, uh, the guy still owed me three years, and I'm out the gate. Right. Okay? So got paid, but, right. but I'm out of the job. Um, Miami now kind of at risk the same way. Okay, you let Fisher get out of the, out of the building. So whatever you do, it looks to be, and now you got to sell. Not that that's important. You're going to get a good head coach, and you're going to try to build it. But it's a little bit okay. We got to settle for Plan B. Right, and it won't be. A, I don't think they're totally hung up on the big name. I thought they would. Hey, if you can't get Jeff Fisher, 
go after another big-name guy. In other words, if you're going to get the fans' hopes up, because Tony was not a big-name guy. Now, Parcell, who came with Tony, Serrano was a big-name guy, but Parcell was not coaching. Okay, and so I, I think that they wanted somebody with uh, with some 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 uh, stuff on the wall, some skin on the wall that says that hey, I've accomplished this much at this period of time. I'm not sure they're going to get that. Yeah, interesting combination, you know, obviously, and how they're going to piece this together. And the other factor of it, we start to see the dominoes. We talked about sometimes management doesn't understand there's a sense of urgency here because now some of the guys you want to hire are disappearing. We already talked about the uniqueness of Josh McDaniel is, is off the market. Here. I don't know. Is it Lee called yet? Yeah, not, we'll find out where we do this early enough. We probably need to do this late enough to wait and see uh, Mike Tice. Uh, is and and Chicago's moved decisively. Mike Tice, a guy that uh, you and I, you right. know, worked right. for us and and a good coach, and and now is going to be the offensive coordinator there. You're going to see some of these teams that are moving to to solidify their head coaching. All of a sudden, now you're behind the curve in terms of the guys you want to bring in. Those types of things, those phone calls are being made right now. And and the longer you delay this, the more we're still early in the process. But if you haven't made that decision by the end of this week. Now, maybe you're going to wait on that coordinator that's on one of these playoff teams and going forward, but you do so at the risk of, because it's not just the head coach, who are these guys going to hire? Right. That's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. And I want to hear from you. You can Twitter me at Coach Billick. We want to hear what you want to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 630 Eastern. Thanks for listening.